You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Our Bible reading today comes from Ezra, chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. This is available on the back of our service program today. Ezra, chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. Now after this, in the reign of King Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Seraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Shalem, son of Zadok, son of Ahitab, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meriath, son of Seraiah, son of Uzai, son of Bukai, son of Abishua, son of, fin- son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was with him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month he began to go from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, if you haven't met me before, my name is Coy. I'm the Associate Pastor here, and it's so wonderful to see you all this wonderful Sunday afternoon. Look, it's 2022, and we live in the world of the hashtag. If you don't know what a hashtag is, it's basically where you type in a hashtag and a word after it, and it's kind of cool, and it kind of filters your post, whatever you post, like a photo or something, it filters that to that hashtag where other people can search it and see everyone's post related to it. For example, if I search for hashtag chocolate, I'd see thousands of people with pictures of chocolate, right? So many years ago, there was a very, very popular social media tag, hashtag, and it was used by the masses, and it was the hashtag blessed. You see a picture of your friend out on Hawaiian beaches, scuba diving, they'll say down the bottom, hashtag blessed. Your favorite celebrity has just bought a new multi-million dollar house for their pet, hashtag blessed. You just took a photo of your lunch to bake beans on toast made by mum, hashtag blessed. In 2016, a popular website wrote an article on the top five hashtags that should be deleted from the internet forever, never to be seen again. Number one, hashtag blessed. The word blessed is so often used, especially in Christian spheres, but what does it actually mean to be blessed? Does it mean what we see online from getting a new partner, a new job, a new house, any good news? Or is it something else? 
In our passage today, I think we see what it means to truly be blessed according to Scripture. And it comes from the man who wrote the book that we're in right now, the prophet Ezra, who in these chapters makes it rather clear that he himself is a man whom God blessed. Because in these two chapters alone, Ezra uses the phrase, the hand of the Lord was on me six times. The hand of the Lord, another way of saying God's favour or God's hand of blessing. Ezra was a man blessed by the Lord. And what we see in our passage is how the Lord does this. And I suggest that we see three things. That one, that God blesses those in his word. Two, that God blesses the obedient. And three, that God blesses for his purposes. As we dig into God's word and see how he blesses, let's first pray together. Father God, we thank you for this Sunday. We thank you that we can gather today, this afternoon together as a church. Lord, as we hear your word, we thank you for your word. And may it be your words that remain in my friends' hearts. May it be your words that convict, challenge, and encourage us, Lord. Take away any words of my own and make it only yours that remain, Lord, for you are a good God. And we praise you and we thank you again for your word in Ezra and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See, at the beginning of chapter 7, we're introduced to uh, the prophet Ezra, who, as we read, comes from quite a significant ancestry. Verse 5 tells us that he descended from Aaron, the chief priest, who you may remember as Moses' brother, a man who was of the first of the Levitical priesthood. Basically, Aaron is pretty much priestly royalty in Jewish history. And so as a priest himself, Ezra had quite a historical family tradition. But even reading that, I don't think that's the thing that's most significant when Ezra is introduced, but rather it's what's said in verse 6 that stands out in a big way. Look at verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked for the hand of his Lord, his God, was on him. See, to give a little context, our passage is set around 50 years later from the previous chapter, Ezra 6, where in chapter 6 we last heard of the Jewish people finally finishing the rebuild of the temple in Jerusalem. But as they've they've done so often in those 50 years, they've once again gone back to living waywardly, forgetting their worship of God and disobeying him. So God would send them someone to teach them God's word again, and to restore their worship of him. But there was no model reformer like this in Jerusalem. So in the land of Babylon, where the Israelites were taken many, many years prior to this, there were still some faithful Jews there. And one of them in particular would be the one that God sends, Ezra, the priest Ezra. So in those days, it was the role of the priest to offer sacrifices and be key in the aspect of worship to God. But what was important, what was also important was that the priest had the the role of teaching the Torah, so God's law, his word. And he was very much an expert theologian, Ezra, somebody who was in the word of God always, one who would teach it to the Jewish people as well as interpret the law for his community. And he was doing all this as a Jew living in Babylon, living under the Persian rule of King Artaxerxes. And yet, as verse 6 tells us, Ezra was a man who was favoured by this king, being granted all that he asks. And the reason for that was because Ezra was favoured by the Lord, for the hand of God was on him. Ezra, a chosen priest, 
an expert theologian, yet a man who the opposing king treated well, a man who God had clearly blessed. But why exactly was Ezra favoured? Why was Ezra blessed by God that even the opposing king would favour him? What is it about Ezra that God would have his hand on him? Verse 9 and 10 of chapter 7, The good hand of his God was on him, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. The hand of the Lord his God was on Ezra, for his heart was set in God's word. See, when I was younger, my mate and I stumbled upon this awesome collection of $20 pop culture figurines with the likes of Marvel, Star Wars, and Transformers, and they were called Mighty Mugs, this collection. And there was a fair few to collect. And I remember my mate and I would travel from one end of Adelaide to the the next, you know, the whole 20 minutes, searching all the department stores for these figurines. I remember thinking in my head, that these figurines must be so rare that in a few years' time, their resale value will be through the roof. I'm going to be a millionaire for collecting these. Fast forward 15 years and people do resell them online on eBay for $19 each. I blame pop vinyls for ruining the market. But I remember how much I wanted these mighty mugs. My heart was set on collecting them all. No joke, my friend and I went to all the Myers and David Jones we could in Adelaide in search of these. See, when the heart wants what it wants, it has a really strong pull, doesn't it? When your heart is set on something, it becomes the only thing you want. You know, the heart is so often talked about in Scripture. It's actually mentioned almost a thousand times because everything about a person comes from in here, the heart. Not the physical organ itself, but the spiritual part of us that drives our emotions, our desires, our wants. It's where it all dwells, our heart. For Ezra, his was a heart that was set on studying the word of the Lord. It meant it was more than just a thing that he does for his job, but it means his deepest desire, his driving force in life, was to be in this book. Because the word heart here actually translates to the whole of one's being. Ezra had concentrated his entire life on the study of the word. He deliberately chose to do this. His heart was set on God's word. And it's this heart posture that reveals to us why he was a man whom God had blessed. God blesses those in his word. Again, verse 9 says, The good hand of his God was on him, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. The for Ezra is important because it indicates that this is the reason God's hand was on him, why he had God's favour, for his heart was set in his word. But how is it that those who are in God's words are blessed. Well, I think it starts with who the word is from, God. 2 Timothy 3 says that scripture is God's words breathed out by him, his own words that we can read and hear and learn. So in the word of God, we get to see on these pages more of who he is. 
We get to read of the might and the, and the mystery and the magnificence of the creator God, the God who created us, the God who made us, who according to his word knows us. We get to know him, which is a blessing in itself. Through these pages, through these pages here, the created us get to know more of the creator, discovering that the more we get to know him, the more we see who he is and his goodness. Proverbs 2 says, If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Ezra, studying God's word day and night, would have known full well the God whom he worshipped. He would have known that the God he worshipped is the deliverer God who delivered his great forefather Aaron from the clutches of Pharaoh. He would have known that the God he worships is the faithful God, fulfilling the many promises that he has made to his chosen people. Ezra would have known all these things and been able to trust in this God because his heart was set in the very words of God. He was blessed because he shares an intimate relationship with his Lord by being deep in his word. To Ezra, God was always present because he's hearing from him day and night. See, when I read the Bible, what I found to be fruitful in my own personal reading is to often ask, what does this say about God? Like just recently, my wife Lena and I were talking about a passage that we're reading together and we were both in awe of the grace of God in a passage that spoke so much about his wrath. And that's the beauty of it isn't it? That the more we're in the Bible, the more we discover things about who God is. And it often leads to an even deeper appreciation and even deeper admiration of our creator God, often leading us to an even greater desire to worship him. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. So we count ourselves blessed by sharing in a deeper knowledge of who we worship. The more we're in here and the more we get to see him, the more blessed we become. Blessed because we will find out, what we'll find out is this is the almighty God. He seems so big and so distant is actually so close. We can meet him always right here. To the one whose heart is set in the word of God, God is always present. We walk closely with him. And what a blessing that is. God blesses those who are in his word. So is your heart set on studying the word of the Lord? Ezra's certainly was. But what's also significant about how he's described is that he wasn't merely in it to study and to teach it, but as verse 10 says, Ezra also lived it. See, sometime last year, my uh, wife Lena and I had dinner with a couple from our church where I cooked my world-famous Vietnamese braised pork belly with rice. As we sat down to eat it, Lena looked at me with a very concerned face. That's because it tasted atrocious. 
Look, I'll be honest, I ain't no master chef. So normally for that dish, I would follow recipe instructions. I mean, I probably had only cooked this dish a handful of times before, but earlier that day I thought to myself, nah, I'm a pro. Like, I know better. I know how to do this. Like, I don't need you, Helen's Vietnamese recipes, YouTube channel. I don't need you, Helen, today. I've got this. So I decided to do it myself, my way. Turns out I missed out a whole key ingredient, a full cup's worth of this ingredient. Poor couple. I'm surprised they haven't left our church. I remember the husband was pretty silent. (laughs) I remember he was really pretty silent, nodding his head as I said, Oh, man, I think I'm missing an ingredient. And he was like. <laughs> and, and the wife, bless her soul, was like, well, you know what, Koi, I like it. I, I prefer my food bland anyway. <laughs> See, as people, we often like to push aside instruction, right, and think we know what's best for us, don't we? And even in the time of Ezra, it was like this which is why there were people like Ezra, priests and teachers of the law, because God knew people will think this way, will live this way. Because of sin, humanity has gone wayward. So God gave his law and his word as instruction to his people. People needed a guiding truth in their life, one that directed them on how to to flourish how to live out their purpose as God's created beings. As I said earlier, the Jews in Jerusalem for 50 years had again rebelled. They needed restoring. They needed reform to get back on track. So God raised up Ezra, whose responsibility was to teach this law and instruction, to teach from the word of God, because it's God's word that instructs people how to live. Again, 2 Timothy 3 says, All scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's in God's word that reveals to us how to truly live as a people created by him, how to live in holiness as commanded by a holy God. But notice that while Ezra was tasked with bringing the Jews back to God's word, We read that God's hand of blessing was on Ezra because Ezra had set his heart on scripture, which guided his own life. Ezra was chosen by God, favored by God because he meditated on God's law, but most importantly, he lived it out. Verse 10, he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. The word of God was so significant in Ezra's life that it translated from his head and his heart to his hands. He was more than just a student of the word, more than just a teacher of the word, but most importantly, he was a doer of the word. Theologian Frank Charles Fensham says that it is not only a question of study, but Ezra also practiced the law. It was not a dead letter, but a living reality to him. Ezra, while a teacher of the law, did more than just teach it, but he lived it out faithfully. God's word shaped how Ezra lived. He desired to have a life of obedience to God, and in doing so, his life was one that was blessed by the Lord. Look at Ezra's life in chapter 7. He was favoured by the Persian king. Anything Ezra could ask for could be granted to him. 
Ezra was even charged to lead a group of Jews to go back home to Jerusalem, to be allowed to go home after living in exile for so long, for pretty much his whole life. These were all great blessings given from God to him. It was as if God was rewarding his obedience, giving his hand of blessing to Ezra as Ezra lived faithfully to his word. Now, I think for many of us, when we hear something like God rewards obedience or God rewards faithfulness, our ears may perk up like it doesn't totally sit right. And that's completely understandable because some of us may have heard or even come from church backgrounds where God's blessing and rewarding was spoken of in incorrect and erroneous ways, where God was depicted more like a vending machine where you pay by being obedient, that you may receive the good things in life, the hashtag blessed kind of things. And it's unfortunate that many churches have leaned into this false picture, distorting the true meaning, because Scripture really does tell us that God blesses and rewards obedience. We read about it in his word, Genesis 12 verse 18. God says to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Or in Luke eleven twenty-eight, Jesus says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Scripture tells us that God does bless those who obey his word. And we still see that today. I think of my own life where after coming back to God, after just running away from him and living my own life, I came back to him and I surrendered myself to him. I remember God calling me to pastoral ministry and he led me to Canada to only rely on him and I obeyed. I decided to be faithful to serve him. Praying and making that choice to go to pastoral ministry, I would have never imagined myself standing here right now sharing the word with you all today. By no means is this a story to gloat or to make it about me, by no means. But I can honestly say that you guys, this church is a real blessing to me. You guys are a blessing to me. God absolutely blessed me with the, uh, me to be able to serve you here at Melbourne West. Had I not obeyed his call, I don't know where I'd be right now. I think God can and does bless faithful Christians who obey his word because God's word is the authoritative instruction for our life. God's word isn't a guide to punish us, to make our lives miserable with rules and regulations, but it's actually the opposite. God gave us his word so that we could live joyfully and flourish as his people the best way possible, to live in the freedom that our creator God has given us, to live in obedience, to live well in obedience to him. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 to 13 says, What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. God knows what's best for you, how best to live, and he tells you right here. And so when you live faithfully according to his word, you'll notice that there are times where your faithfulness, where your obedience leads to God blessing you. Faithful couples who have saved themselves for marriage and God blesses them with a beautiful joy upon becoming one. People who invest in others, going and making disciples and God blesses them by deepening their faith. 
prayerful folk giving their anxiety to God and he blesses them with a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it makes sense. If God, who is good, has given you his word on how to live, faithfully obeying him ought to lead to good things, right? But the thing is, where we've gone wrong, where many churches and even ourselves in our sinfulness have distorted it, is in our understanding of what's good. Where we see blessing as things of the good life, success, health, wealth, materials, relationships, in other words, earthly blessings. And so material prosperity becomes the driving force behind obedience, where people desire the temporary things as their greatest reward. It would be like if Ezra in our passage was instead described as a man who had set his heart on gaining the favour of the Persian king, where Ezra's heart is instead set on the good things of life. But I just love how Ezra is actually described in our passage because he's obviously a man who the Lord has blessed. But notice that he never obeyed in order to receive things. It simply says that Ezra's heart was set in the word, that he lived it out in obedience because I think Ezra saw the blessing wasn't in what he'd receive, but the blessing was that he would be living faithfully that he was pleasing the Lord, obeying the Lord. That is the blessing to him. The reward for him wasn't the material things, but the spiritual things. His pursuing holiness, his growing in godliness, his being in the very words of God's daily, that is his reward. That is the real blessing in his life. Psalm 1 verse 1 said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the word of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. The one who is blessed, the one whose life will flourish and prosper is the one whose heart is set on the word of God and does it. To know and to do God's law is to be blessed. But the flourishing and prospering isn't what we see as the good life. But the more we're in here, the more you go in and dig deep into the word of God, the more we'll see what true prospering is, what a true blessed life is. Jesus, in his famous Beatitudes in Matthew 5, said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. James 1 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Luke 6, Blessed are you when people hate you. Job 5, Blessed is the one whom God corrects. Notice that God's word is often associating blessing with trials, poverty, hardship, not perfection, material prosperity, a cushy life. Because if you delight in the word of God, if your heart is set 
on studying it and living out what's said in here. The blessing isn't that you get more of what you want. The blessing is you get more of him. And I think a wonderful example of this is Hannah from the Bible, who was barren and asked God to bless her with a child for so long. And one day God heard the cries of her heart and granted her her prayer. So God blessed her with a son, Samuel. Imagine her feeling, the absolute joy of God getting what she had so long desired. The name Samuel itself means I have asked for him from the Lord. But what's astounding is that after getting what she had so longed for in her heart, she gave Samuel up for the Lord, giving him up to be a prophet of the Lord, to be raised not with a normal life that she could have with him, but to be completely dedicated to serving the God for all of his days. She gave him up to the Lord. And Hannah prays a beautiful prayer in 1 Samuel 2 which says, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. How beautiful is that from Hannah? God is our greatest need and ought to be our greatest want. So when we live as people who delight in his word, we become people who delight in him. He becomes our deep and lasting joy. And so we desire to obey him. See, whether we get good things or we get hardship and trial or God withholds things from us, we remain satisfied because we know that the Lord is with us. See, in fact, the word blessed in Greek translates to mean fully satisfied. So to us who delight in the word, we remain fully satisfied in the Lord regardless of our circumstances. And how can we not remain fully satisfied when God's word reassuringly tells us things like this, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Or it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Or I love this, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Real blessing isn't in what we temporarily get or receive, but to be truly blessed is to get more of our Lord, to have a deeper life with God, to delight in his word and to live it out obediently, to be so satisfied in God, that whatever he gives or whatever he doesn't give, we remain faithful. So are you fully satisfied in the Lord? Ezra was a man fully fully satisfied in the Lord. And yet, as our passage tells us, as a result, he actually did get good things in life favor with the Persian king, an all-expense-paid trip to return home to his uh, to return home to Jerusalem. Excess gold, we read. Excess gold and silver to use however God willed. He was spiritually blessed by being in the word Ezra, but it kind of looks like he was kind of materially blessed too. So how do we make sense of all that after all that I've just said? 
How come Ezra did get earthly good things on account of his being faithful? Doesn't that counter my point of God not being a vending machine who rewards obedient people with worldly things? Does Ezra's life mean we can expect things to work in our favour whenever we obey? Doesn't scripture speak against that? These are probably the questions you're asking and they're good questions. And it leads me to my last point, that while Ezra was provided with good things from God, what we'll see is that God blesses for his purposes. See, I don't know about you, but have you noticed when we receive something good from God, when he blesses us with, let's say, good health, an extra paycheck, a new bundle of joy, it's often that we think of it first in regards to who? Ourselves. And of course we would because we've been the one who, we're the ones who've received it. We've been blessed. So we enjoy our gift from God. We're thankful to God. But have you ever contemplated whether the blessing received is not actually about you, but is in fact entirely about the Lord? Well, that's how Ezra understood his blessed life. In chapter 7, verse 27, he says, Ezra says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Look at who the focus is for Ezra. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who stirred the heart of the Persian king as to send Ezra back to help beautify the temple. The Lord, who Ezra says, extended his steadfast love to Ezra by having the king, the counselors and the officers to look kindly on Ezra. Ezra knew full well that the hand of the Lord was on him and it had nothing to do with him, what he deserved or what he'd earned, but it was completely the work of the Lord and for the purposes of the Lord. Everything that worked out favorably for Ezra in our chapter was completely God's doing. While Ezra was faithful and obedient, God was the one who made it all happen. God wanted his temple to be beautified, to restore law and order to Jerusalem that they may properly worship him. And so God is the one who willed it, blessing Ezra through it to bring people, to to bring about his purpose. And we can see God's work in play again, just a few verses later in chapter 8, where Ezra gathers the Jews to return to Jerusalem, but there was no Levite to be found. And this was significant because the Levites had a long, had long been tasked in their history, being tasked with the important role of temple service. So without any Levites, it would have meant that it would have been hard for them to celebrate in festival and worship on their return to Jerusalem in the temple. But in chapter 8, verse 18, it says, And by the good hand of our God on us, again, God's hand, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali, the sons of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen. Ezra emphasizes that it was by the blessing of God that some Levites were to be found, qualified men who were able to serve, uh, to return and serve and aid in the temple service and festival. 
to the Lord. Godly men who God raised up to serve in leadership positions next to Ezra. Again, we see that God blesses Ezra in this instance, giving him what he needs as he returns to Jerusalem for the purpose of whose will? God's will being fulfilled. Fensham says, the will of the Lord was responsible for the willingness of the Levites to accompany Ezra. Ezra accepts that without the will of the Lord, this would not have been possible. God blesses Ezra for God's purposes. See, sure, Ezra did receive some pretty good things, favor from the king. It'd be nice to be able to be granted anything from a king, right? That's quite great. He had the opportunity to return home to Jerusalem. He was given leaders to return home with the temple, a great need for him. But throughout it all, Ezra knew that it was only this way because it was for the purpose of his Lord. And I think for us, this is a really, really good thing to hear because it's so easy for us to think about God's blessings to us as all about us. We may see it as self-serving. We may flaunt it. We feel like we deserve it. We delight in the gift over the giver, which is why it's important for us to remember that God blesses for his purposes because it helps us take ourself out the picture and remember that every good gift is given for the purposes of the giver, our Lord. What we saw in chapter 7, verse 27, where Ezra acknowledged that it was all God's doing is Ezra have an attitude of thankfulness and trust. When God blesses you with wonderful things, while you ought to enjoy them, absolutely, remember that your deepest delight is in him and his word. So we be thankful. And this is really good for us because there may be times where God gives us things, but there's also plenty of times where he doesn't, where his answer to our prayer is to withhold things from us. But we can be thankful because what God gives or God doesn't give, ends up serving his purpose because we worship a sovereign God, a God who is in control and his good and his purpose is always good because he is a good God. And so like Ezra, we be trusting. Where in verse 28, he said, I took courage for the hand of the Lord was on me. He remained trusting that God's purpose will prevail. So what God gave him, he used to fulfill the purpose of the Lord. And I think this is important because when it comes to God blessing us with things, when God gives us stuff, something I noticed is that when we shift our thinking away from ourselves and onto him, what I think happens is we shift how we view what he gives us we begin to think about how what he's given us can best serve him. If you've received that good bill of health as a blessing from the Lord, how will you use your body to advance his kingdom and purpose? If you got that extra paycheck as a blessing from the Lord, how will you spend it to better serve his purpose? If you receive that new house as a blessing from the Lord, how will you open it up to bless others serving his purpose. If you've been graciously gifted a new son or daughter as a blessing from the Lord, how will you raise them faithfully in the word to grow up serving the Lord's purpose? The prophet Samuel, Hannah's son in 1 Samuel 12, said to God's people, 
Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Ezra, a man who had the hand of the Lord on him, knew that all the gifts, all the favours, all the blessings that helped his life were not about him at all, but they were to fulfil the purpose of the God he worshipped. See, it seems that God's purpose prevailing is key in our passage today. See, in chapter 8, verse 21 to 23, we see Ezra proclaim a fast to the Lord for safe journey to Jerusalem because Ezra knew the way there was extremely hostile and dangerous. They could have died on the way back to Jerusalem. But as you'd expect, what have we seen so far in Ezra's life? The Lord protected him. God's purpose prevailed. Ezra trusted in the Lord, telling the king before his trip that telling the king before they would go back to Jerusalem, Ezra tells the king that they don't require any soldiers to come with them to protect them on their journey. Because he says to the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. Ezra believed this wholeheartedly. We see this in his life. He fasted, he implored God for this and God listened to him and he blessed him. The hand of the Lord, our God, was certainly on Ezra. Five hundred years later, there would be another man who clearly had the hand of the Lord on him. Jesus, the Son of God. And like Ezra, Jesus too came from a significant family line, the line of David where a Messiah was promised to come from. Like Ezra, Jesus had his heart set on the law of the Lord, even going to a temple at a young age to teach law to adult men. Like Ezra, Jesus not only taught from the word but lived it out, actually doing something no other human in history could do, not even Ezra. He, uh, he lived it out perfectly without fault. But unlike Ezra, the hand of the Lord was not always on Jesus. But there was a moment in history where God took away his hand from his very own son as Jesus nailed to a cross would feel the power of God's wrath poured out against him as he bore the burden of all sin. Jesus cries out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And dying alone on that cross. This was the darkest day in history. Jesus' disciples, his followers, were distraught, disorientated, demoralized. Their teacher, their Messiah, was gone. But while the darkest day in history, there is good news. God's purpose prevailed. Because in this moment that seemed anything but a blessing from the Lord came the greatest blessing we could possibly ever receive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus paid the price meant for sinners, meant for us. 
Jesus in his death atoned for the sins of those who believe in him. Jesus took the curse of sin for us and suffered God's wrath for us. And three days later, God would put his hand back on Jesus, raising him to life. All this done by the Lord so that we could receive the ultimate blessing, salvation in him. God, who took his hand off Jesus' life as he hung there on the cross, did so for his good purpose, that he would never have to take his hand from us. That in Jesus' life and death, death and resurrection, to those who believe and have been redeemed by Jesus, we are infinitely blessed. If you're sitting here today and perhaps you're still unsure who this Jesus is, know that you could receive all the wonderful blessings in the world, but they all pale in comparison to the free gift that is our Saviour, Jesus Christ. So don't seek what's temporary, but seek what's eternal. And to those who sit here as the redeemed people, as people who know Jesus and love Jesus, who sit here with God's hand upon us through the work of Jesus, be a people whose hearts are set in here, set in the word, for we'll see more of our Saviour in here and be blessed by it. Be a people who live this out, who live in obedience to his word, for we'll be more like our Saviour and be blessed by it. And know that God blesses for his purposes, for by his grace we have received his greatest blessing, salvation in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, what a God we have in you. That you are a God who gives and we see the life of Ezra where your hand was upon him. Where he received many good things from you. But, Lord, there is no better good to receive from you than more of you. So we thank you for your word that in it we get to see you and know you and live for you. And, Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control of it all. Help us be thankful in what you bless us with, but also be thankful in what you don't. Help help us trust in you, knowing that your plans and purposes always prevail. And we see that most clearly at the cross of Jesus, a place, an event that looks like there was, it could not bless anyone in it at all. But Lord, you gave us the greatest blessing in what Jesus has done, that by your grace and by your mercy, that as you took your hand off him, as he died there on the cross, you did so that you may have your hand on us for eternity. What a saviour we have in Jesus. Thank you that he is our truest blessing. And we praise praise you and pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.